You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solaray Energy, experts in solar energy management. Hello and thanks for joining our weekly podcast, Energy Insiders, sponsored by Solaray and thanks for their help. My name's Giles Parkinson and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK. How are you, David? Uh, very well, thanks, Giles, except for the flu and I trust all our listeners are well also. Well, at least that way with you having the flu that we're statistically accurate, I suppose. Well, it's uh, lucky this is a podcast, isn't it, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, a lot to talk about again. Um, energy prices on the front page, and I imagine they're going to be energy prices on the front page again this week. Look, we've had a whole bunch of studies come out all over the place over the last um, couple of weeks on energy prices and what's at fault. Malcolm Turnbull's decided to bring all the heads of all the major retailers, not just the big three. I think he's managed to find eight. So it's AGL, Energy Australia, Origin Energy, Snowy Hydro, Momentum, and a couple of others. David, what's he going to tell them? Are they going to listen? And if you were Malcolm, what would you tell them? Well, he's going to tell them that the prices are too high. I think Bruce Mountain uh, came out with one of those numerous studies this week showing that prices in South Australia uh, were the highest in the world. Uh, having been the lowest, well, not South Australia, South Australian prices have always been high, but Australian prices have been low historically. And so he's going to tell them, you know, it's a bit of a joke that we've got the highest prices in the world. And what are it's you going to do about it? It's a complete joke because, um, you know, it's, um, as I've been banging on a bit about um, recently, um, we're almost paying 40 cents a kilowatt hour um, for our electricity, particularly if you're in regional New South Wales. Um, if you include the fixed cost, that's probably more than it costs to burn some diesel. So what can they do about it, David? Sorry to interrupt you. Well, it's not clear that the retailers are actually in control of their destiny, except to the extent that they're actually the generators. So, you know, uh-huh. we've, covered, we've covered on this podcast, Giles, several times a whole lot of the, a lot, whole lot of the causes. And certainly there's an oligopoly in, in a vertical integration and horizontal integration uh, is part of the problem. Uh, the, the high price of gas, uh, you know, not much can be done about that in the short term. Um, and, and gas is the marginal generation setter, and gas is the marginal generation setter in Victoria because um, we haven't had enough new supply built and Hazelwood was taken out. So we've had a reduction in supply. I mean, these things are well known and they're being milked uh, by the by the generators. But over and beyond that... Well, let's, well, no, let's just hold on to that milking thing because, you know, even Rio Tinto is coming out and saying we're being milked because, you know, they're, they're charging way too much. We saw in Queensland that a ministerial edict to stop milking the consumers resulted in them going from having the equal highest price to the lowest wholesale price. The rest of the generators are privately owned. Can, apart from doing some rule changes, like the five-minute rule change, which may or may not work... Can Turnbull get them to change their practices? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that, um, as I've said several times on the space, that high prices are the cure to high prices. New supply is coming. It's just not going to be here for this summer, and it's not necessarily going to be in the right places. So there's lots of new supply coming in Queensland, and there's, uh, which we'll talk about a little more later. 
There's a fair bit of new supply coming in New South Wales, but there's actually not that much new supply really in Victoria, certainly not enough to replace Hazelwood, which is why Victoria's pretty much getting the Guernsey now for the highest prices in the NEM. And that's what's causing the Victorian government, in my opinion, to get nervous about the whole thing, to start talking about a gas import terminal, an LNG import terminal, and perhaps to go a little bit cautious on, we didn't see in the end the reverse auctions come up before Parliament rose. Um, so, so there we are. Yeah, now what do, what, what do you think that means? Because I think um, Simon Corbell was telling us that there was a limited time um, for those auctioned um, that auction legislation to be presented if it's going to be in place by the end of this year? Um, one presumes not. Well, I, I guess it's just another question of, of watch this space. But my point is, if you want to get prices down in Victoria, you need more supply. It's really fairly simple. But but uh, before we get on to any other topic, Giles, I wanted to come back and talk about my bugbear, which is the networks. I've been doing, uh, uh, for my sins, some work on this very boring uh, topic and there's round about $70 billion worth of regulated asset value of electricity wires and poles. It's not the transmission, that's basically just the last, last mile. $70 billion worth of regulated asset value. And that in the market sells, would sell, investors would pay you about $100 billion for that. So that tells you that there's systematically uh, um, and, and it's you know demonstrable market evidence that these guys are in fact over earning. And if we look at what's happened, if I pick the case, in, I'm going to pick two cases here because I think these numbers interest me. Firstly, is United Energy in Victoria, which was uh, just taken over by CKI, and I'll note uh, that most of the Victorian industry is now owned, uh, wires and poles is now owned by offshore interests. Um, many uh, of them Chinese. Uh, they are a lot of Chinese, but whether they're Americans or Chinese, I'm not sure it really makes any difference. But if you look at the volume per connection in United Energy, it's gone from 4.6 uh, from sorry from 5.4 megawatts in 2010 to 4.6 today. So that's uh, a decline mm -hmm. per year of 2.4 percent. But the revenue per megawatt hour there has gone from $47 to $65 a megawatt hour. And by the way, it's not just households. You see exactly the same pattern in medium-sized businesses. So those guys have been, been hurt as well. Now, that's Victoria. But when, when you get up which to... Is, which, which one, which, which is, you're actually just about to say, actually. Sorry to interrupt you again, but um, that's the privatised network. It wasn't supposed to happen there, but you're just about to tell us what's been happening in the government-owned networks. Well, I, well, I am. So that's a, that's a compound growth rate in prices per megawatt hour there of 6.3%, right? And this is, this is an intractably difficult problem, right? Or well, this is a much harder problem to solve than high generation prices. No clean energy scheme or no amount of new generation is going to solve that problem in Victoria. But now let's wander on up to Ausgrid, where we see that the over 10 years, from 2006 to 2016, the residential consumption per connection has gone from 7.2 megawatt hours in 2006 to 5.7 megawatt hours in 2016. That's an incredibly fantastic decline of 22% in total. Wow. Uh, uh, which I think partly reflects the fact that we've got units. It partly reflects the, the insulation schemes that the government ran. It reflects, uh, you know, energy efficiency. It reflects a whole bunch of things. But a bit the of rooftop solar? Yeah, yeah, well, and rooftop solar, but consumption per household is down 22% in total. But the price per megawatt hour has gone up 120% from $41 a megawatt hour 
to $93 a megawatt hour over that same time period. 41 to 93. It is extraordinary. And that's not including the transmission increases. That's the pure distribution cost. And, you know, how we, until we work out a way to get, do something about that, we're never going to get electricity prices in Australia back into the middle of the pack. So there's a fundamental problem here, Giles, in that Australia is essentially, uh, when you add in the rural networks, it's a very long distance between, between houses, if you like. And the same reason it's difficult to make the NBN profitable that Alan Kohler was going on in your favourite paper, The Australian, this weekend. He's the, he's the only writer <laughs> arguably worth reading there. But he pointed out you can have fast uh, network speeds or you can have a profitable system but you, or you can make customers pay a lot. But you, you can pick any two of the three, but you can't have all three. It seems... Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, look, I'm just, yeah, just going to interrupt you there, actually. Well, I mean, this is one of the key points because we talk about this transition to clean energy and we talk about, you know, much cheaper solar and storage and what have you. But that's the point. You know, Alan Finkel talks about this big transition and he promises a $92 a year saving um, on current bills by 2030. Well, that's not going to interest very many people because we're paying way over the top as it is. So we need to find a way for a significant reduction in bills. And I'm, I'm sure... That's presumably what Malcolm Turnbull is going to be arguing powerlessly um, at this sort of centrepiece on, um, um, on, on Wednesday. But um, some more fundamental reform needs to happen and, and probably involves some sort of write down of assets. Well, that's what I think. I personally think that if uh, if we if we were in Russia uh, or China, what would be happening is someone would be walking around to the networks with a very big stick. Uh, unlike in uh, the USA, where I read that uh, uh, Trump talks big and carries a small stick. But, uh, <laughs> but here in Australia, we need someone who talks less and carries a big stick to walk round to the networks and to the network investors. And basically, they need to going to accept returns, which at the very least end up valuing the networks at their record, having investors pay the regulated asset value and not a penny more. So mm. that would, now, that would, yeah, that, that would. No, you're right. Yeah, that that would. There. So we've talked then about wholesale prices. We've talked about the networks. The other issue is the retail ones. We don't know much about that, but there is the point that's being made, and I think this has come up in a couple of the reviews um, over the last week. That basically a lot of people don't actually know about the discounts. Perversely, some of the big retailers have managed to actually get these extra fees for being able to provide discounts. So it's this whole circular rhythm. And if the net, if, if some of these retailers are able to offer discounts um, up to about almost 50% in some cases, it kind of suggests that they're probably overcharging for the thing in the first place. Giles, you know why they don't know? Tell me why they don't know. Because we got rid of door knockers. Now, if we only had door knockers back again, imagine how happy life would be. We'd all be finding out what the what what the discounts really were, and you could be signing up people like crazy. Um, but actually, well, there you go. it's not hard to find out what um, really what uh, AGL or Origin are offering. I mean, it's it's posted in plenty of places. To be honest, you can get 22, 23, 24 percent off your usage charges. Uh, XGST, and it's if, not. If if you ask, and you can probably get on more, but why are you paying that high price in the first place? Well, no one because ever they could, can. Because they can. I mean, I, you can't blame a retailer for trying to make a profit. And I want to come back to the point here that for years and years and years, it's Origin and AGL and Energy Australia really struggled, right? There was an oversupply of generation only a few years ago. 
um, and, you know, assets were being given away. Hazelwood was closed. It wasn't particularly profitable. It wasn't the only one. All these coal-fired stations were closed because they couldn't justify the new investment. And, gas fire, and then the gas price went up, and, and then we had a, a ban on renewables for a couple of years, and so we're going through this, this correction process. But in all of that time, uh, Origin's retail business, which is the biggest in dollar value or close to it with AGL, really has not made a return on capital all of that time, to be fair. Okay. Now, look, one of the things that is sort of reasonably reassuring from this um, shift by Turnbull, um, and maybe I'm being a, bit, a little bit over-optimistic here, is that he has been focusing on network prices, he's been focusing on wholesale prices, he's been focusing on retail prices. So basically, he's actually identified the three big movers of the bills. Um, interestingly enough, a Galaxy poll is coming out, um, which says that in Queensland, more than half of all um, pollers or whoever was asked blames renewable energy for their increased prices, which is slightly ironic because they don't actually have any renewable energy up in Queensland, apart from a lot of rooftop solar. And most of those people who have got rooftop solar um, are getting a very fair premium tariff. Now, maybe they think that in Queensland and they also want a coal-fired power station up north, which seems perfectly ridiculous to me. I don't know whether it's because of their exposure to the local Murdoch media, which has a monopoly up there that's sort of causing this to, to happen. But um, um, what's my point here? My point is is that there's some admission, I think, by um, the coalition party that it's not all renewables' fault or even partially renewables' fault, but um, that's still got to seep through to a lot of the people um, in, in homes and businesses. Well, Queensland's coming up for an election some stage over the next uh, 12 months, and the state does have a 50% renewable policy. Uh, this sort of poll's probably likely to make them go a little quieter on it or to do the education. Um, uh, of course, uh, Mark Bailey getting himself into a bit of trouble hasn't really helped matters. Uh, no. Uh, no, that's right. And they've got a lot of um, solar plants being built up there, including some by businesses who see that as a way to get cheaper energy. But, of course, not many of these will be... Um, completed and producing and having an impact on um, prices between now and then. Little wonder then that um, Mark Bailey instructed the um, the uh, generators to, um, to to go soft on the bidding practices. Well, you know, I think that by itself, people will stop worrying about electricity prices in Queensland to an extent uh, when, when they see that they're getting lower wholesale prices than anywhere else and they won't really ask themselves why that is the case too, too much. So that'll probably go away as an issue. And Charles, I wouldn't underestimate the amount of rooftop solar that they've got up there. It's on something like 25, 27% of houses. 31% actually. 31%. And, you know, I think that's every one of those houses is going to think that uh, they're a contributor to renewable energy. They're a contributor to reducing the carbon footprint of Australia and Queensland and the planet. And uh, we shouldn't underestimate that for one second. Absolutely. No, no, no. I think it's a very good thing. Look, we've um, given the prices a fair thrashing today. Um, let's give a quick runabout on some of the other topics that have um, happened um, in the last week. Um, down in South Australia, um, GE Energy won a contract um, to put some temporary diesel plants in uh, to South Australia to help meet this um, coming crisis or coming sort of fingers or sort of white knuckle ride through the next heat wave in South Australia um, and probably also Victoria. Mind you, um, a lot of that's going to be, we're going to have, so by this summer, we're going to have these um, temporary diesel generators. We're going to have about 100 megawatts and 129 megawatt hours of battery storage with the Tesla big battery. We're going to have a heck of a lot of demand management and possibly more the following summer. 
It's going to be interesting to see what happens. They've got a poll coming up in South Australia as well. Um, I'm rather suspecting that if all goes well with the battery and the demand management and these temporary turbines and they get more demand management in by next summer, they might not even need to make those temporary turbines permanent. Well, you know, speaking as the state government, it's the same reason I support, support desal plants, even, even when it's been raining. Uh, I think having adequate backups an important thing and ha having those um, uh, backup generators sitting around the place, it's a pretty cheap investment uh, in the state's electricity security and future. And, you know, I would guess the South Australian government this summer is incredibly important. If they get through it without any too much drama, then um, things will look a lot better than if there's a repeat of last summer. I don't think mm. anyone wants a repeat of last summer. Oh, goodness, no. Absolutely. Um, interesting enough, um, GE and um, en on Onji, um, the owners of the Hazelwood plant, um, are building a 115 megawatt, 110 megawatt wind farm just north of Adelaide. That makes about, oh, we've got the 221 Bangala solar farm, which is now under construction. We've got the 215 megawatt Lincoln's Gap wind farm, I think, being built also near Port Augusta. We've got this 115 megawatt, uh, 110 megawatt wind farm being built. That's about 500 megawatts of new wind and solar capacity under construction yes, in South Australia. Well, that's right. So, you know, we're going to need some more transmission capacity. South Australia is a great place to, to build uh, wind. It's got good wind resource, but if you've got to export the power out to the other states and be able to import it when the wind's not blowing, I mean, hist that's what history proves. So let's get on with that part of it as well. Is that plant actually confirmed as uh, going ahead? It's now reached fi final investment decision, has it? Well, they've um, struck a PPA and they've got financial close, so I think it's just about yep. to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we try to contact them to find out what, if anything, they were offering in the way of um, frequency control, sort of grid services, and whether it would be sort of quote unquote battery storage ready, which seems to be the favourite um, the favourite expression of all plants, but um, we couldn't get through to them. But uh, we'll try and find out some more this week. And Charles, I think you mentioned, or oh, there's been talk about a, a big PV plant in Queensland. You can, you can tell me about yes, that one. This is this is Equus, which is um, a Singapore-based company, and um, they've got a few plants coming up around the place. And if I call up my little list here, I might be able to tell you some of what they're doing. But they've just gotten approval. Or they're building? No, they're not. Um, they build. They they um, Equus have Talum Bend, which is another solar farm almost ready to go in South Australia, which is also supposed to be. Um, battery storage ready and they've just gotten approval from the Western Downs Council if I've got that right in Queensland for a one gigawatt solar plant now up to you to decide to work out whether they're actually going to build one gigawatt straight off I wonder if they'll build one gigawatt anywhere but that's the sort of the scale of their ambition um, they'll obviously do that in bits and pieces, um, but um, that's just an interesting development and I just I guess I guess it so, just so underlines a, the a... interest yeah, yeah. Just, just council approval. Just council approval. It's, yeah, absolutely. Approval's great, and it, it generates a paragraph, but uh, as I've said several times, uh, us financiers or us investors get much more interested in uh, once it gets to, once, it's, once those shovels start moving there. That's too Ab billion. Absolutely, but it's, it's, still, it's still a gold rush, and people out there pegging their, um, pegging their areas, and they haven't actually found anything yet, but it's, um, it shows the excitement. It's $2 billion worth of capital expenditure, more or less, maybe a little more. Uh, you know, and so that's uh, 600 million of equity and uh, 1.4 billion dollars worth of debt. 
it's, it's you know there'll be quite a few people. You, you get the big banks interested in that. Certainly take Ian Nareve off his current uh, uh, problems, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Perhaps they could sort of pay for it by deposits, um, incremental deposits. Um, just a couple more items to go, David. Um, IKEA are now sen- sending selling battery storage, or you can you can now buy battery storage and solar um, panels in IKEA in the UK. Is this a good idea? Well, I think you can buy them in uh, in, uh, in in most of the JCAR sh- shops around the place as well. But I don't know about actually installing it on your house. You know, that's uh, more for the caravans uh, and people if you get it from JCAR. Um, no, I think this is supposed to be for the house, actually. Um, it worries me a little bit because we do know, and, and once again, we, we tell people who, who listen to this and when we write this, that... Um, we think solar and storage are pretty good things, but for goodness sake, there's a lot of cowboys out there. So um, if you if you go cheap, um, be careful. I'm not suggesting that's with IKEA, but I'd be interested to see if they do actually introduce that, what sort of controls and quality controls there are in particular an installation. Well, you know, I think, what, what do they say? The DC voltage coming down, I can't remember whether it's 300, 500 or 1,000 volts that comes actually down from the panels, but I, I feel like I could wire that up myself and wouldn't even probably need to disconnect the mains while I was doing it, you know, just... Wear a pair of uh, rubber gloves, that, that should be fine for it, don't you reckon? Can I warn re- uh, listeners at home not to try this? <laughs> um, look, we've also got in the next couple of weeks, David, um, what have we got? Um, well, we've got the we've got the big the utilities arena. coming out. Well, we have got the AGL uh, results announcement. I think it's Tuesday, and I'll be looking to hear for that. And as much as what they say in the results, again about what they say about next year, which will be they'll tell you um, they'll only give some indications about that. Um, but they're going to be predicted depicted a little bit like the banks are. They're just making these super profits. AGL's forecast to increase their profits by fifty percent over the next couple of years. We've got this big thing about you know energy prices that consumers are paying. Are they, are they going to have to pay? They're going to lose some sort of you know social capital on this. I don't necessarily think so. Again, I don't, it's a it is a private enterprise market. You make money one year. Uh, and you don't do so well the next year. Somewhere down the track, if the Labor government was to introduce a carbon tax, for instance, or something, then the profits might fall away. Uh, I've actually got no problem at all with companies making money while I can, and I don't actually think AGL has been particularly unreasonable in what they've done in any way, shape or form. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. Other people, uh, you know, if you're a socialist uh, person who thinks it should all be state-owned, uh, then, then you'd have a different view, but I'm just not one of those people. Fair enough. Now, you wanted to mention Arena before we go. Well, Arena's got a conference on Monday week, I think, uh, where Finkel's speaking, and it's been held in the Great Hall at Parliament House, um, and it's a showcase for renewable energy, so I'll be uh, flying down to Canberra, first time I've ever flown to Canberra, uh, uh, to have a listen in on that, and hopefully shake a few hands and hear what the boys have got to say. Well, that should be fun. I'm actually going to be in Alice Springs and Uluru. I'm speaking at the Alice Springs Renewable Energy Festival, and um, then I'm going to be taking a few days off and walking around a very big rock. That should be a lot of even more fun, and certainly uh, take, don't forget to take the sunscreen. <laughs> well, I was actually at, um, no, I won't go into that. Um, I was talking about sort of the things that you find in sunscreens, but um, I won't go down there today. Look, thanks, David, very much. Um, it's been a very entertaining talk once again. Um, and look, thanks to listeners um, for tuning in once again. Once, look, it's, it's proving very popular. If you do have a, we, we do invite you to go and um, on iTunes to leave a comment about it because if you give it a good review, then that actually helps um, this podcast be found by um, the way it works. It's sort of you know it's then promoted and found by more people who may be interested in the in the topic. So um, please do so. And once again, thanks to our sponsors, Solaray. David, we'll talk again this time next week. Look forward to that, Charles. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.